everyone. This is the Lemon Narrative with Sabrine podcast. I am Sabrine, your host. I am a writer and I'm interested in interviewing as many people as possible to hear about their human experiences from their narrative. Today we're answering the question I always ask, if I'm writing a feature film about you, what would you tell me? I have with me here a friend, um, an amazing person. As you can see from my smile, I'm just too excited to have her here. So Ray, I'm going to let you introduce yourself to people. Here you go. Uh, oh, Sabrine, you're such a sweetheart. Um, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, I think the last time I spoke with you, we chatted for a couple of hours and I still felt like I could speak to you for another couple more. So I'm glad we're doing this. Um, so for your audience, my name is Ray. I'm a visual storyteller and an educator based mm -hmm. currently in South Korea. I was born and raised in the United States. Um, and I don't know what else to share about myself other than I am also a mom. Right. <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> um, can I ask you a question before the question, the actual questions is, um, why did you make the move from uh, U.S. to South Korea? Yeah, that's a great question. So this is my third time living here. So every time I lived here, it was like for a year or a few years, and then I would mm -hmm. return. Um so the first time I came, it was because I really wanted to learn more about my Korean culture because I had spent so much of my life at that time kind of rejecting my Korean culture because I was ashamed of it. Mm. And, um, and then uh, towards the end of my college, um, my senior year of undergrad, I was like, you know, maybe I should do something really crazy and live in Korea and see what that's about. So that's the first time I moved here. And then the last time, so this current time mm -hmm. I moved here for a variety of reasons. Um, but at the time that we moved, um, someone was president of the United States who I did not want to be in the States to see as president. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so we moved here, um, during that time. Okay. Enough reasons. Seems like enough reasons for me. <laughs> and as like, I, I'm someone who loves cultures and I've told you about this. I just discovered the South Korean, like I know about South Korean culture, but I, due to uh, friends and sisters, me to watch drama and I'm a drama lover since I love writing screen I love screenwriting I watch everything on planet I like I watch things that I don't I've never heard about the culture before I'll be watching a movie about it and I really love the language the culture everything behind it so um that's why I was interested I was like oh why did she make the move right okay we'll be talking about this more but let's dive in to the main question I'm writing a feature film about you what would be the first scene, the opening scene? Um, what, what is in your mind for the opening scene? So 
I've been thinking about this question because for for several weeks, um, and I had like three different scenes that we could probably start with, and I was going to decide as soon as you asked me to see which one filled my mind. I hear them three. I want to hear the three. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Okay, so the first one that I thought of was um, the moment during my second grade year when my teachers called my mother and me and for a parent-teacher conference. Mm -hmm. And um, it didn't actually happen during the parent-teacher conference week. It happened um, either a lot before or a lot after, depending on how you see the situation. Mm -hmm. And I remember in that meeting, my teachers were telling my mother how slow I was, how I was, you know, falling behind on so many of the academic standards um, in comparison to my peers. And I just remember that being a really big defining moment for me that Mm -hmm. set out um, the mental trajectory of a limiting belief of mine, which Mm -hmm. is that I was inferior to my peers. Um, And so that is something that I have spent so many years in therapy for, so many years trying to prove that I'm not stupid. So I think that was one moment um, that I felt like, you know, could really be one of my like defining moments, one of those inciting moments, um, an inciting incident that a film could start about me. Mm. Um, The second... No, go on. The the second um, memory that I thought could start off my film is this moment um, when my mother came home one day, uh, we were, li- I was living with my mother and my grandparents at that time in a one bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. We weren't rich at all and had very little resources. My mother mm-hmm. was uh, working multiple jobs to make ends mm-hmm. meet. Mm-hmm. And I remember my my mother came home one day. Actually, I don't really 100 – I don't think this is actually my memory. This is a memory that my mother recounted to me. And so I mm-hmm. still remember it for some reason, probably mm-hmm. because when she recalled it for me, like I imagined it, and then mm-hmm. I, I have not been able to get that out of my mind. So I don't think this is something that I remember, but it was something I'm pretty sure that my mother – Uh, put in my brain. Mm -hmm. And so she said that she came home one day and I was sitting with my grandfather and on the dining room table, there were a handful of red beans and he would combine a random number of them and he would ask me how many there were. And every single time he would combine a random number of these red beans I still would not give him the right number. Mm -hmm. And so my mother was a little bit shocked and my grandfather looked at my mother and she realized that 
I was just like my mother. My mother didn't uh, really enjoy school when she was younger. She was much more curious about, you know, what the leaves in her yard had to say to her rather than, you know, doing what the teachers wanted for her to do in class. And so she was like, ah, in this child's mind lies a completely different universe. Mm -hmm. And so I think that also kind of is very relevant to my life because I've always felt so different from my peers. Mm -hmm. And like, I never was seeing the same thing that my peers did or that I never processed information like my peers did. I always had the the weird or stupid question for my teachers. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that could be a really good opening scene. And then I can't remember the third one, um, but it was something similar uh, related to, to Yeah. Hmm. I love them. I love the, the two. Um I think both can be an opening scene combined together, like jumping. Uh, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Okay, let me explain how I see it. <laughs> and it'd be um, the opening. Your, your, call, your mom is called to the parent conference office, and then we go to you sitting with your, your grandfather, and then back to what the teacher said. And then we go to your grandfather asking you about the beans numbers, and then um, both... And then we would go both to your mother's uh, look on her face in both when the teacher tell her the news and when your grand when she sees what's happening with you and your grandfather. And you will be kind in in all of these scenes. You know, you you are there in every single one of them as a child. Um, I feel okay. Why is your academic performance an opening scene? in your life because um, this is academic performance, right? And I realized, I realize in many countries and cultures, in fact, in all cultures so far, uh, what you do in a school feels like the end of the world to a child. And even a parent who's an adult who probably went through the same thing and eventually, as, like as an adult now, I know that it's not the end of the the world if someone can't count beans, right? Like I am, I did well in math, but I'll tell you one thing, I memorized everything. Mm. You know how people understand math? I memorize math problems. <laughs> That's how I get marks. <laughs> and if you ask me now anything mathematical, I'll use a calculator. I, I don't care. I am at this point in my life where people ask me math question. I'm like, I'm a stupid in math. Sorry. Just <laughs> tell me the answer. Okay. <laughs> because I'm not going to, I don't want to pretend anymore. Because at some point in my life, I was just pretending I'm good at it. But the truth is I was just memorizing it. Right. So, and you know what? I, I, I'm not, failing in life I'm okay right so what well, I, I just it it never occurred to me why would adults after realizing how life works would bring a child to the world and then you know um put them into that pressure like as a teacher and you you know you and I have a thing <laughs> we go back to think about our teachers 
Um, I, you know, I work with autistic children and a recent um, thing that happened is I had to talk to other kids about autism and someone says autistic people miss cells in their brains, one of the kids. And I said, no, 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 they don't miss any cells. They have all the cells we have. They just work differently, right? And that make them normal people. I don't like the word normal, right? But whatever normal or able the society wants to tell us, Mm -hmm. we all are just in different forms, right? So why, why after all this you're an amazing person and you have such a intellectual mind in my opinion and the way you connect dots and stories and you, like, your visual stories are like you know why would academic performance be your opening scene mm. so um so something that maybe uh i'll share here because we talked about it extensively on um in our last conversation So I'm going through this midlife awakening Mm. where I'm realizing that I am, I've known for quite a bit of time that I'm a neurodivergent person, Mm. but I didn't know exactly how I was neurodivergent. And so really over the past six months, I've just been like, analyzing all the different types of neurodivergence and going through every single label that is affiliated with neurodivergence and just really doing a deep dive with each one, right? Mm -hmm. And I have been very interested in autism because I am pretty sure, not 100% sure, Um, but pretty sure Mm. that I'm high functioning autistic Mm. and I'm sorry. You are in the spectrum. Yes, exactly. Mm. I am pretty sure I am somewhere on the spectrum. Uh, but I think the way that we understand autism now is not comprehensive enough. And also a lot of the research has been done on dominant cultures. And I am not, I am not male. I am not Mm. white. I am not, Mm. um, I am not so many things that, uh, you know, research has historically been done, um, Mm. regarding neurodivergence. And so it's almost like, why am I going to spend my own money and my own time getting a diagnosis or an assessment um, based on, so. right, based on things that, you know, probably does not, not apply to you. Exactly. And yeah. does not consider any of the intersectionalities where I fall. Hmm. And uh, this is kind of a digression, but for a long time, I was trying to, I just thought there was something wrong with me, uh, like specifically me. And that, that Mm. was the reason I couldn't get along in society. That's why I had, like, I'm a highly sensitive person. I really struggle when I'm overstimulated. Mm. Um, I'm sensitive to lights. I'm sensitive to sound and everything. Scent, you know, I can smell. Yeah. 
like things a mile away, you know? Um, and so, and so, uh, you know, I just always thought, okay, there's something wrong with me. But then when I kind of dot, um, delved into my research on neurodivergence, I've been realizing, oh, actually there's a community of people who are like me. There mm. is, there are people who think like me. There are people who speak like me. There are people who experience the world like I do. There are people who are really sensitive like I am. And it has been so liberating to know that it's not just me. That, you know, yes, society has made me feel and I have felt in relation to society that there was something wrong with me and that, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't, but I'm realizing that it's just that I did not have the resources, the appropriate accommodations to help me succeed um, when I could have, if Mm -hmm. someone had known that I struggled with anxiety, that I struggled with OCD, that I struggled with overstimulation. Like if someone had just known that I experienced the world differently than my peers, that maybe I could have been successful too. Hmm. And so I feel like, you know, the, the opening of my film would start with, oh, here is this girl that everybody thinks and is saying is academically incompetent is intellectually inferior because there is something wrong with her. But I think over throughout the course of the film, I think we would realize that no, it's when she, there's nothing wrong with her. It's just that she is built differently and Mm -hmm. given the right environment, given the right accommodations, given the right resources and knowledge about how her brain works, that she can actually do what other people can do um, and just as well, if not better in certain areas. And so I just feel like, um, I feel like starting with academic performance would, I think, be like the start and then ending with actually, can we really evaluate what it means to assess and measure the success of our students. Maybe we are evaluating our children incorrectly from the start. Okay. So I I had a question, but I think you kind of sort answer it when you say, be successful, I'd be successful. I was thinking, are you talking success in life or academically? Because I wasn't sure. But I think you were meaning um, in, in, in academics, right? So this is a really tough question because I think, okay, so if we look at a strainer, right, like a sieve, Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of like there's, let's say um, we're making, I can't think of a metaphor that doesn't require extensive context building, uh, but let's just look at a strainer, right? And we're looking for uh, rocks that will stay in the strainer once we pick them up, right? Mm. And uh, let's say the strainer is has a certain size 
whole. So all of the really small ones fall through and all of the big ones stay in the strainer. And I feel like what the academic, what school does is they stick a strainer in and anything that doesn't stay in the strainer, like falls through the cracks. And, and so what I think I'm saying is school only measures scholastic performance, but that's kind of the strainer that decides the trajectory of your life. And so in, I, although I didn't, I wasn't born and raised in South Korea, I know specifically that if you don't academically succeed here, you don't get into the top schools and you don't go to the top universities, that you basically have a very difficult life. Yeah. It's a very competitive society. And I think the United States is a lot less competitive in comparison to, you know, South Korea at least. Mm. But I do think that academic performance kind of is a defining feature of your life and you be you have a stamp, you're branded uh, in school. And it's really difficult to come out of a branded state once you leave school. And so I do agree that, you know, academic performance is just one type of success, but I think in school, there isn't another type of success that is measured. Mm. Interesting perspective. <laughs> um, I have always uh, thought I, I grew up in so many places, as you know, not one. And in every place, I have a different academic performance. You know, it was always in the top 10 or top whatever, but it's, it was always different because it always uh, follows the environment and the requirements. And then where you start a school actually roots you, have a, have a, like, kind of like prepares you for what to come, right? Exactly. And when you start in a place and then you go to somewhere different, it's hard to take those roots out and implement new ones. Um, exactly. So you kind of carry them and then you add and add and add. And it's not, it's not a pleasant experience, <laughs> to be honest, but it's an interesting one. It's something if you're um, resilient enough, I guess, again, one of the words, I don't know how to replace it with a word that I like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not English, at least, um, you would, you know, figure it out yourself. I was going to ask where was that? The parent-teacher meeting was in the U.S., right? I'm assuming. I'm sorry. What the, what the was parent the question? teacher? The parent-teacher meeting yes, in the United what, States. In, okay, I just find I, I because I live here in Canada, and I've always found those. I don't know. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. They don't tell you. They have a sandwich method in telling you. I remember one of the oh, yeah. people I met. She told me I was rejected by a prof I did not I was I did not know I was rejected till a week later because of how nice she put it <laughs> and then I got angry because she could have told me but I you know I don't necessarily think it's the best way to 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 I, I rather I rather harsh truth in my life but not everyone approaches that that way but I'm guessing this was like one of those um moments where the teacher was actually straightforward right so um, this is, okay, so 
based on like yes right so Thanks. yes uh but i wanted to add something here because um i might be also not painting the entire picture so i definitely think that that so if we move on from the opening scene Mm. There were subjects in school that I did excel in, uh, but I don't think those were skills that were valued by society um, in a way that kind of redeemed you. It's like they ask you, what are you going to do with this? It's not, it's not a exactly. major that you're going to make money out of. There you go. Right? What were the subjects? I'm interested in knowing. So... I always did pretty consistently well in English and art. Okay. Yeah. 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 I remember um, I have a thing for emceeing and hosting, and I've always nice. been chosen to, to do that in my school. And I remember when I was in med school, um, we did a project. It was for public health. And... Um, it was a public health course, and we went into uh, uh, schools and kindergarten to see what is the environment there, um, was it, whether it's healthy or not, etc. So uh, one of the things that I came up with, because I am, I am like, I like, I like this, right? You already know. So um, I interviewed the kids, right? I'd be like, what is it? What do you have for breakfast today? And they were like little, little cute. I love kids so much. And I was like, what do you, and they were giving me like cute answers and I would laugh with them. And, you know, one of the kids I still remember, she said, I buy my, I buy my lunch. And I said, oh, do you like to buy your lunch? She said, no, just my parents are asleep by the time I leave. And I just, <laughs> I'll never forget. Oh. I just started laughing. I was like, oh my God. Thank God it's not going anywhere. Her parents won't see this. But it was such a cute, straightforward answer. Like, you know, and I was like, you know, and then we took this and it was a huge presentation. It was like a 40% mm -hmm. of our mark. And we were like a couple, like men, like a huge group too. And during my part, I, first of all, I like put the interview on and then I had co my comments later. And the prof said... We did have, we do have a doctor now, but we lost uh, an amazing, great host in TV. And that was his, that's what he said. He, will, he was like, okay, Dr. Sabrine, that we do have you as a doctor, but we did lost a great host and a great, and I, you have no idea when he said that I was so happy. And I told my father and my father had this look in his eyes, like, no, <laughs> you're not going there. He has like, he was like, what, what is he talking about? You know? And this is what I realized. Um, I guess it, it, the effect of what, is it effect or effect? Effect, effect, right? On what the people around you want you to do. Exactly. Has on you. Because yeah. some people have many potentials, not just one. They can excel in, on so many things like you, right? And instead of, instead of like, I think what, what is something the, the school system should be focusing on is not building skills from nowhere. It's finding what you have yeah. and build on it, yes. right? And yes, there are necessary, necessary skills like counting that everyone needs. 
okay? <laughs> <laughs> but if I can count in one language, and I understand the idea of counting and adding numbers, and there's someone else who can do accounting, right? And who can do like mathematical stuff that's way better than me in it. I don't have to be pushed to do calculus in school because calculus gave me headaches. And I, I memorized everything and I have no idea how it works now. And, you know, the time and waste and effort and not just the time wasted and effort to do it. It's the, the feelings associated with it, the feeling of stupidity, the feeling that, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? Why is everyone understanding this and me? I'm struggling with it. And everyone expects, puts you in that image that you have to reach, right? Um, but I think a, a better, more effective way, and uh, and I think it will be even easier for resources and and money financially for schools is to focus on what the children have and build on that. That way we'll have people excel in different things in life and we won't have doctors who are forced to be doctors or engineers who are forced to be engineers or whatsoever. We'd have people that just love what they do, at least. And even if they don't love what they do, they're good at it. And somehow they're going to find a way to love it, right? Yeah. And I think that would have been a better option to look. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's accommodation per se. It's more of changing a perspective of something. I like changing perspectives more than the word accommodation mm. uh, because accommodation suggests that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with people. Yeah, I think I agree. When we say people like mental health disorders and diseases and, you know. Yes. Yeah, some of them are disorders and diseases, but we're just putting, we're just, we're just stigmatizing things. Exactly. Because we were told that things has to be like, you know what I tell my, I saw it somewhere, tell my, my friends that. Some traditions are just peer pressure from dead people. Why are we following mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. And some things, just like what you say, some studies are considered golden studies, but they're old. <laughs> yeah. Why can't we question them? Why can't we add more variety to the study sample? To the, you know what I mean? Just like what you say, like I wouldn't go and seek a therapist who's not, who doesn't, who, who's far away from my social environment, right? I wouldn't, like, for example, I remember one day walking into the, um, it was, uh, it was the department for, for, for my college. And um, I was, I was struggling with something and I said, oh, I'm struggling with this and this and that. And the person who was just an administrator said to me, you know, you don't have to be in university. But I didn't say I didn't want to be in university because in her mind, and it's something that I've realized here when I started college here, is um, there, there is some um, assumptions associated with the way I look. And I am, I'm getting into there because I have a question here. Um, that people would just put you there and because I looked a certain way with hijab, with an accent and everything, and I did my studies in Ottawa, the capital, um, people just assume two things. I'm married with kids, which is not true. And the second thing is, if I'm not married with kids, I'm like pushed to excel. In, in um, I don't have it in me to excel, but I am pushed to excel in university and have a higher degree. 
it's not my ambition and it, it is my it was my ambition and it's one of my ambitions you know so and they based on that and that's what she said if you're struggling in first year in like it was chemistry it was I was not struggling because I don't understand chemistry I was sick right I was in the hospital most times so I had to drop one subject for the sake of my health but she didn't even give me the 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 opportunity to explain she just assumed based on probably it there's someone who's who looks like me who's going through this I'm not gonna lie or assume I uh, say no no it's not happening it is happening but you know let people tell you what they're going through before you you give them solutions right and then believe them yeah and then believe them like in your case yes you were a child uh, how old were you second grade right yes yeah. you were a child but what if the teacher asked you, you know, what if she asked you what you're struggling with? You know, what about your perspective? Even if you were a child, I find, I find children perspectives are honest and real and usual tells you what's in their mind, you know? Yeah. Let's, let's go back to, to, to like, uh, something here. When you started, you said I rejected my South Korean heritage. Mm-hmm. Right. I want to know why in mm. an honest way. <laughs> in <laughs> an honest way. Mm-hmm. In an honest way, like in a real way, because you and I both come from, I uh, would say, a minor, a minority and living in a, and live, uh, right now I'm living in a society where I'm, I'm, I'm a, I am a minority. Right. And there, there were times where I was the dominant person, yeah. like you right now in your place, right? If I come to you, South Korea, I would be a minority, right? but you will yeah. be the dominant person. And and I believe that you went through both being the dominant and the minority. So I want to know why. Like, you know. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of a two-minute answer rather than a 20-hour answer. <laughs> Um, I give you, so... I give you 10, 15 minutes answer. It's okay. I'll listen. I, I yeah. yeah. I think I, I, I just want to give you a couple of like scenes. Yeah. A couple mm. of like appetizers. And then you let me know which one of those you want me to talk about more. Okay. Um, so I was very, So I think I have to talk about, it wasn't internal. I think it was definitely external. So one thing was I noticed that Koreatown, so we didn't actually live in Koreatown, but I was ashamed of Koreatown because Koreatown in where um, in the city where I grew up was not an affluent neighborhood. And it was kind of closer to like the parts of the city that were considered potentially dangerous or, um, you know, you know, just not the most affluent neighborhoods. And, Mm. and so that was one of the big reasons is that I knew that Koreatown was not seen as a safe place, a desirable place. And so that was one thing. Another thing was I noticed that none of the Korean people were popular or or 
actually, I'm not sure if the popularity had anything to do with it, but I know that uh, we were definitely a minority. And also, mm. there were no famous people who were Korean. And so there wasn't a lot of representation in the media. And also, I think Korean food was also considered stinky, potent, mm. uh, not desirable lunch, right? Mm. And so all of these things combined kind of gave me the message that Korean culture is not acceptable in the United States. Korean culture is not a desirable uh, is just not a desirable thing to be affiliated with. And so I was like, well, I can definitely try and pretend to be the dominant culture, you know, like, mm -hmm. I didn't particularly do this, but I did know people who did. And so like, even like beauty standards, right? So I have monolids, which means I don't have a double eyelid, like most Western people, or um, I guess only East Asians, not just East Asians, but there are certain cultures who don't have the monolid. But mm. you know, Western standard of beauty is like, you know, you're pale, you have um, like blonde hair, you have double eyelids, you're skinny, you're tall. Um, like there are all these things and mm -hmm. I didn't conform to those things at all. And so I think um, there was one popular thing that a lot of Korean people would do and they would either get double eyelid surgeries or what they would do is they would get, they would put tape on their eyes so that oh, I've seen the they tape. could, right, <laughs> so that they could mimic that double mm -hmm. eyelid feature. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I was just trying to mold somehow. I was like changing my body and the way that I appear so that I can be seen as someone who has value or someone who is acceptable in society. And so I think, you know, that was, that was generally the reason why I rejected my South Korean culture, heritage, mm. those kinds of things. Interesting. <laughs> I, yeah, that's interesting. I, okay. Uh, you visit South Korea like after high school or college? Like how old were you when you decided to to embrace it kind of feeling? Yeah, it was definitely after college. So um, I moved here in, yeah, when I was 22, I think. And And you made the change because deep down you felt like, I need to connect with this or something major happened? Mm. So in college, I was an art major mm. and uh, so many projects, right? A lot of the classes that I was taking, they, the assignments were talking about like 
your heritage, your family, where you come from, your culture, your memories. And so like the last two years of college, I was really exploring my family, my, my memories from childhood. And uh, my mother is a songwriter and uh, she's kind of considered like the mother of Korean folk music. Um, And so like, I remember my, I I had remembered things from my childhood that like my mother sang. And I also remembered things about my grandfather, like he invented the fire engine in South Korea. And so like, I was remembering things about my family. And like my aunt was um, a really popular South Korean actress. And so Uh, I started like missing because I went to school like um, not in the same city as where I I grew up. Mm -hmm. And so I was like kind of missing my family and I was kind of trying to be close to them by remembering my history and remembering them. And so a lot of my projects actually explored that Korean culture. And also simultaneously, I had kind of decided that I wanted to become a Buddhist nun after I graduated college because I was I was really into Buddhism. I was studying Buddhism pretty deeply. Mm. And um, well, not just Buddhism, but just East Asian religion um, more broadly. And so uh, I was very much like, oh my gosh, why have I rejected my Eastern roots? And so I think that was another reason that I was like, I want to explore my culture. I feel like I don't really have an understanding of my culture. Mm-hmm. You feel like you did it wrong, the culture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, this is a, like interesting. Um, I think I've seen, I don't know whether it's real people I've encountered or um, in movies do when these things happen. And, um, I think it's it's sad what um I just had a I and I wish and I'll send you the link when I had a podcast yesterday about someone who travels and you know what we said is just one earth um a passport should be an identity document not a segregation document mm-hmm. that put people into places okay let me give you an analogy that I discovered a few days ago, like in my last trips to my job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I arrive er- earlier than expected to where I go, because if I didn't arrive earlier, um, I would be very late. So it's either or, right? So I and eventually I decided I'll, I'll be inside the mall because it's safer because I'm there too early in the morning. So, and I'm like, I can't, since I can't sit still, everyone who's watching the podcast will see me doing this, doing this. I can't sit still. And I decided, okay, I'll just walk in the mall since nothing is there. So, and it's something I've known all the time. Uh, The mall in, in Toronto, it's called Eaton Center. And when you go downstairs, you'd find cheap places as you go up 
It's the high brand. And because the mall was not crowded, you know, and I would, I would like, and I, ha- and I have like an hour to walk, right? And it's not crowding. It's just me and a few people walking or doing their thing or passing by the mall to go to their destination because too hot to walk out in the streets. So I would be going and taking the escalator up and then upper, and then I would go through the whole floors. And I realized as I go up, it's just upgrading. It's upgrading and upgrading mm-hmm. and upgrading. And I'm like, wow. And I know that uh, when I shop, I don't shop down the stairs, but I shop in the middle. And I go up to, for one brand because that's the brand I can afford, right? Because I'm middle class, sort of. Um, and I just started noticing more brands, uh, the brands I know and the brands that I've never considered looking at because they're very, I don't even know the prices range. I just don't go there <laughs> as simple as that. And I was like, wow, it's like, it's like the platform. There's a movie on Netflix, right? And it's like life, you know, we put countries and people coming from countries in that level of floors, flooring in the mall. And we did, the society and community and system has organized this so well to the point it's everywhere. It's in the mall, it's branding, it's the way we eat. Just like what you said, South Korean food considered stinky and smelly and blah, blah. And then out of nowhere, it became authentic. What changed you know, and you just go go on and on noticing everything in life going through that. And then I don't know how it works. <laughs> I don't believe in conspiracy theories. But something that was once down, it goes up. And something that was up, it goes down. And it just you just continue in this circle, which is an endless and empty and has no goal circle in life and people need to be more conscious into this because instead of embracing all of this together we're just rejecting it rejecting the variety and 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 and, and beautiful things that we are different in and i and this is one of the things that i love most in life we're so different yet so similar like me watching um i don't know if i told no, I, that's another podcast I was watching a drama in which a um, the girl was paying for the mortgage payments, but the boy deci- her brother decided to get married and he took over the house because her father paid the down payment. But she was the one working and paying all the bills for that house up to date. But now she has to evacuate and have no house because you know her brother got married first and he's the man and blah blah even though he, he you know he's a good guy at heart but he's not responsible right so in my head he 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 should go and figure it out him and his wife because they made the decision blah blah but instead they took over the the house and she has to, she's in the street after all the effort and work right and that's just a social thing that if you look at it it happens everywhere it's not Where South Korea. did this happen? That was a drama, a South Korean oh. drama I watched. So, and I'm like, okay. 
And I, when I was watching this, I felt like I was watching a drama from my own country. <laughs> right? And every time I watch something, I find something so different, yet so similar. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's, it's Canadian, was it French, Korean, uh, Turkish, um, you know, African, uh, Arab, Middle Eastern. There's always, we share so many things between us. And if we just open our mind and our heart to realize there's someone like you with so much talent and and growing up in a society, and uh, an American society, you, you should have been embraced more, you know? If you were in my class, I would be asking you, since you're a child, about your culture and things, so I can know more for myself as a teacher, and you know more because you're not living in your environment, right? Um, and I've seen this, I've seen this happening to people who, um, Sudanese people who lived, when I went, left, uh, when I was in Dubai, I've seen, I would say a word, because we all speak Arabic, right? And I would say a word and my Sudanese friend is like, don't say this word here. They would laugh at you. Mm-hmm. Even though it's the same language, but different way of saying words. And I'm like, but this is how I say it and that's okay. Yeah. And you know, as you're talking, I was thinking like, you know, I think there are other things that happen too, because I definitely don't think that, like my teachers, I mean, the dominant culture didn't exactly say that there was something wrong with me. Like, I didn't really have like racist teachers. I mean, there might have been one or Mm. two, but they weren't outright racist. And, you know, my peers weren't either. But I think it was, you know, like the accumulation of like these microaggressions, you know, like, like if somebody were just like, ooh, or, "Mm," you know, it, it just kind of built up. And I think it kind of became one of those, like, belief bubbles, you know, Mm. that I, I caught, I, I was caught in. And so as you were talking about that analogy, which is beautiful, by the way, of you like shopping and realizing that all the expensive brands are at the top and all of the more affordable brands are at the bottom you know, that's a very great analogy for the hierarchy or, you know, the caste systems that we've sort Mm -hmm. of either directly or indirectly or visibly or invisibly built in, Mm -hmm. you know, different cultures. And, you know, as you were talking, that reminded me of the film Parasite. It's a South Mm -hmm. Korean film. And uh, I was very fortunate to be at the Putan Film Festival to catch that during the year it came out. And at the screening that I went to, the director, Pung Juno, actually uh, Skyped in at the end of the film and answered questions from the audience. Mm-hmm. And it felt so surreal because he was at the top, like, the screen and then we had the actors right underneath the director 
just by location of how the theater was built. And then underneath the actors who were speaking were the audience members. And so I saw that hierarchy too, right? Mm. There's this director at the top and then there's the actors who, you know, he directed. And then we had the rest of society sort of watching this film. And I see it everywhere, just Mm. like these hierarchies that we build saying, oh, these people are above the line. These people are below the line. Or Mm. here's the upper class. Here's the lower class. Mm -hmm. You're right. You know, it follows us culture to culture, city to city, uh, people to people. It just, it follows us. And I know you said, like, you don't believe in conspiracy theories, but I think societies are built this way for a reason. Mm. You know, power allocation is very integral to the running of the economy not just to specific to a country but to the world right and i think there are people at the top who want to keep that power structure in place but it's not hidden right no it's not hidden it's not hidden and you know what's crazy we know it and we allow it and accept it exactly and we participate in it we participate willingly you know and not just that we we are taught and i remember and this is this is something i am sort of having a shame shame code with me is when i was a kid my aunt would say things like oh this girl her father is a driver your father is a doctor you're better does that make sense And Mm -hmm. she would say, because of who you are, you would go out and meet people and the person you would marry won't be a driver, for example. Right? And those are the things that they were implanted because in my brain, because they were implanted in her brain and it's just how it works. And dare you question that or go against that current you would mm-hmm. be the crazy one. You would be the yep. complicated. Because those are things that I the was black told. Sheep. The, not just the black sheep. You're crazy. And you mm-hmm. are like, a th- they, you are seen as a threat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like one time I, I said to my friend, um, I just don't think having a child before 30 is a good idea. <laughs> and she's like, no, after 30, you're... And she started talking about how we kind of lose... Uh, as a woman, the ability to have children. And I'm like, did your mom lose it? Did your grandmother lose it? Like, yes, there are people who would. And that's like a sensitive, like a, a very complicated and sensitive topic that we could talk about for hours too. But like, why am I forced out of fear to have a child that I'm not ready for? <laughs> Just because I'm scared I won't have child at a certain age. If that doesn't happen, then it doesn't happen, and I, I, it wasn't meant to be. But I rather that over not being ready to have the child with someone that I'm not ready to to marry, right? One hundred percent. And that's something. That idea, I can, I just kept it to myself because one time I said it, and I was. And you know what? People um, who know you would attack you from your weakest point. They would say, "Oh, is it because your parents are divorced? You have a complex." I'm like, that's not, 
that's not the reason. <laughs> it could be. There's something there. I have to agree. Divorce as a child of divorce is not easy. That's why I see the truth. <laughs> I was put into this reality at younger age. And I am yeah. like the results. And that's why I see some, some truth there, right? Um, but, you know, why do we, why do you think we follow this? Why, why do we do that? And sometimes we join it. Sometimes we try to reject it. And when we try to reject it, like me saying an idea, someone would say something that would like kind of like hurt me. And I'll be like, whatever, I'm not going to fight this. I'm just going to keep it to myself. In my case, I just followed what I think it is without necessarily talking about it. Yeah. I mean, um, so as you, when you went, when you ask the question, why, why do we do this? I want to say that anytime we are going against a current, we have to expend so much more energy than if we were just to go with the flow. Mm. And I think, yeah, exactly. And also I think if I were to apply that to like thought, mm. right, it takes so much more brain power to actually think critically for yourself. And that is why when you, and I think that is why rebellion is the biggest threat to the social order, right? Because you're daring to say, well, even before rebellion, just even questioning why the status quo exists, right? Mm. Why are we blindly following the status quo? Why are we blindly allowing these dominant cultures or dominant ideologies or dominant whatever to keep going? And it's because it's more, it's easier for everybody in many ways to just follow an expectation, follow something that exists. And that's why you know, when people start to question or when they start to rebel or when they start to have different ideas or they start to act upon those different ideas, it can really disrupt the social order. And every time that happens, you know, it, it's, it threatens the power structure, the, the, the fabric of the powers that exist. And so... Yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but you did. You did yeah. answer the simple. It's it's always a simple answer. It's easier to follow than to yeah, create any. And it reminded me of Animal Farm by George Orwell when the oh, animals um, rebelled, and then eventually they followed the old system, the, the stronger ones, right? And I, I did, read it a long time. I didn't. Re I have to reread because I read a lot. Yeah, it was like I, yeah. <laughs> And blending it. that with like 1984 and also blending no. that with yeah so but eventually i think the the people who let the children the sorry the animals who were left from the rebellion that the the rebellion when i think the pigs took over and then the donkey i think it was the donkey or or goat who said i can't remember the old um, I don't remember saying, any of this. No, I remember them saying uh, four is better than two, or two is four or fours are equal. And then fours who stand at two then became better than because um, four was 
people uh, four were the animals because they work on four and two is the per- people human because they work on two oh, legs yeah. yeah so so the pigs eventually were able to lift and walk on two right and i, th- I think oh i hope i'm not saying i'm not remembering this wrong <laughs> for the podcast thing. but eventually the rebellion uh followed the um, the old system after getting rid of the the spiritual or the person who had the actual fire in them because that person throughout history does not win eventually they became a traitor right and and i think people um see that and i think people are smart they see that and they say oh i don't want to be the traitor i don't want to be the person who loses all at the end uh, i rather maybe i would be rebellious and then eventually take over and join the top instead of like losing eventually and that's usually what happens on like a higher level but in like a family level you would just be like the odd one <laughs> crazy <Yeah. laughs> the crazy rich aunt who comes to give her uh, uh, nephews and things things because she refused to get married <laughs> you know what yeah, i mean so that that reminds yeah. me of um little women yeah, Miss uh, Aunt March. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to your. Um, this is oh, our conversation. Are always, I love it. We're going back to your to your film, which is all of this is related, by the way, because this would be the underlying theme to the plot, right? Because you see this child who are, is told that her academic performance is not as good as her peers. She's behind some sort of stupid. You know, they say this stupid, but in a nice way, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And then we go from the conference to to your meeting with your uh, to your mom coming into you and your grandfather, and then I am just imagining you just in 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 school after that meeting, trying to catch up all the time, and doing extra classes at the end of the school day, and you know just. It's you as a as a child and a student. This is the only goal in your life to catch up others, because you are behind. And the thing that people don't realize is they're never behind, because there's no race. <laughs> You're never behind, right? But you, as a child, you were told you are behind, and you just continue doing that through your life. Uh, what 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 would you say the characters? available with you in your film, you, your grandfather, and your grandparents, and of course, a couple of teachers who are going to influence your life and your mother. Who else, like, is going with you to this journey from second grade to uh, ending of college where you decide to go back to South Korea? Do you see anyone significant? Yeah, there are some significant members. Uh, so I had several bullies uh, my entire academic career and um, definitely was ostracized from communities. And so I think those characters would come into play as well. And then there were other characters as well, but I would say that you've got the main ones. My mm-hmm. mother, my grandparents, uh, my teachers, um, 
and then these bullies. I mean, I did have really good friends as well. Mm. And um, yeah, lots of really good friends. But I think... I'm trying to think. Like, I would... So right now I'm writing a story or I'm rewriting a story or what I'm doing is I'm combining three different stories. And so I don't even know what to call that. I'm, <laughs> I'm compositing a story, I guess. Okay. Um, and so I've been thinking like, I need to know what the ending is to know which characters to keep and which mm -hmm. characters to, you know, stash away for a different story. And mm -hmm. so I think if we're talking about this particular film, if it just ends at college, I'm not ending then... at college, but I'm just saying okay. to that period, who was there? Yeah. So I think we got the most, the, the most people. Yeah. And I mean, there were significant like teachers, I think, mm. who influenced And we would have them, the we'd have them having moments in there, encouraging you and trying to shift yeah. the trajectory that you believe in. Right. Right. Um, what were the bullies bullying you about? Was it your academic performance, your heritage, how you look like? Uncomfortable uh, questions, I know. <laughs> no, it's not an uncomfortable question. It's just I finally made, um, I think it was either at the end of last year or at the start of this year that I finally made a breakthrough in therapy regarding that. And so... Um, yeah, so if I'm just speaking from my perspective and not assuming I know what the other perspectives are, like, mm. or I, if I'm not trying to figure out why I was bullied or what was, um, what the people who were bullying me was going through, like, if I just cut that part out and mm. I just focus on me, like, why I think I was bullied. Um, and it was probably because I was very different. Mm -hmm. I did, I was very passive. I didn't really speak up in classes. I didn't know how to articulate myself. I couldn't linearize my thoughts. I was, I always asked the strange questions. Mm -hmm. um, you were the perfect target. Exactly. I was the perfect target. Yeah. And that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am serious. It's not... Yeah. First of all, this is your narrative. So if you want to, like, criticize them, I'll, I'll listen. Uh, because it's called the lemon narrative. So it's your narrative. I I, I think... I'm not, I'm not interviewing the bullies. I'm interviewing you. Um, it's just, again, we go back to... Um, I, I just reminded me of a story where I attended a conference, a Muslim conference, mental health, where we were talking about men. And I was saying that men dominate societies. It's not the, the, the comp, like, I wouldn't say all men, but you would say 80%. The patriarchy. The majority, right? And I said, they act, they do this and this, and society allows them. And the panelist, a very amazing woman, I still remember, she told me, she said, don't you think this is mother's job too? To raise this man in a certain way and uh with my understanding <laughs> that day i was thinking oh, why do we have to blame women for everything right why can't we just you know accept that society allow them and 
now today is serene is I think it's a combination because the society tell the mom what to do with this man and the ma- the woman again going with the easy option decided this is what for her ma- for her son to grow up uh, swimming with the current this is how he's supposed to be raised and that's also um, goes with the bullies too right because they see the easy target and they go for it because this is what everything around them tell them to do and there 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 are evil people or this is just their their nature right um but if we were built a better environment a better society and better school system we wouldn't have seen that i i don't think we would no i think and I, if we had better home environment that allow women and tell them it's okay to raise a child a certain way, you know? Uh, and I see this in, like, my relationship with my brothers. One day I woke up, I was not feeling well. My brother came to greet me, to kiss me, and I didn't feel like kissing or greeting him. I was not feeling okay. And I was thinking, I'll just let it go. But then I stopped myself. I said, if I allowed him to do that, even if it was a simple greeting, he will think he's always entitled to do that. And if someone else another woman or any person in his life said no to him that that would the other person would be a wrong not him because he, i i you know i broke that boundary right yeah. so that day i said no and he was upset thinking i am at fault but then i explained to him that no means no and everything else associated with it and now he knows you know he knows and that was like a moment of clarity to me that I have the power to change that. So when it comes to bullying, this is like my share of it. <laughs> it's like, why can't we just raise people not to bully instead of like uh, spending all this many resources to say no bully? Well, start from the scratch, you know? I will go back to your uh, movie or film. You went back to South Korea. What was... Um, how was it the first time you went? Like you, how did you feel about it? Oh my gosh, culture shock! It was such culture shock, and oh gosh, it's been such a long time now. What is um, the first culture shock you had? Or just one major. It doesn't have to be the first. Like a major thing that was like, wow. I think a really big thing was how collectivistic the society was. So I remember one of the really tough things was I had a dietary preference Mm. of how I ate and how much I ate Mm. and in what order I ate. Like Mm. those are things that were important to me. And so, and I didn't like Korean food. I didn't like garlic. I didn't like the smell of the dining hall. And so I would usually eat in my classroom. But I remember like my teach, my colleagues and you know, everybody who I was working with felt snubbed by me in many Mm. ways because they were like, how dare she like 
eat by herself and not be part of like our society and also um they didn't like that I was getting special treatment because I was the foreigner and that I could get away with these things because even though some of the teachers wanted to eat by themselves, they're not allowed to do that. And so why was I getting away with being able to do this? Mm. And so um, that was you a really the big top. culture shock for me. You became at the I'm top. Sorry. You were you were one of the minorities in the U.S. You came to the South Korean to become at the top. Do you realize yes. that? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that's everyone's experience who goes back home. Yeah. Well, I never really considered this place my home. And so I think like it was the home of my mother um, and it was the home of my ancestors, but I never considered it my home. And it's only been like this time around that I do feel like South Korea feels more like home now mm. because I've spent almost just as many years here as I did in the States as an adult, right? If I subtract like my childhood um, and just calculate based on the years that I've lived as an adult, you know, when my executive functioning was at its, you know, mm. matured state, mm. I've lived longer in South Korea than I had in the States as an adult. And so I do feel like this is a place that I can call my home now. And so I do recognize that there was a power shift, right? So I was at the bottom of the totem pole when I was living as a Korean American in the States. And then when I moved to South Korea, I was an English speaking person with a Korean face. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I do, I definitely see that power shift, right? That I definitely gained the upper hand. Mm. And um, I think that is why I feel comfortable here is because I spent my childhood, my formative years being told or getting the message that I'm nothing, mm. but that now that I'm living here, that I actually have value to the the society because when people meet me, they go, oh, you know, you're so lucky that you speak English. You're so lucky you had been educated in the United States. You're so lucky that you have a U.S. pass. Actually, that's not true. I think Korean passport is stronger than the U.S. passport. But, mm. you know, there are lots of messages here. And so that is some, but then again, I feel ashamed because I don't speak Korean very well. I was going to ask about Korean in a, in a bit. <laughs> I was going to say, do you yeah. speak Korean good? Um, sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Oh, no, that was That's the extent good. of that I was going to say. You reminded me of a person, one of my friends who was um, born and raised in, in London, UK. And um, I've always wondered why would she come back? when I was in middle school and I remember one time I don't know what we were talking about but she said oh no I I'd rather live in a middle eastern country because I'm more celebrated there than when exactly. I live there and I said what 
and I remember her saying this and it stuck with me for so long. And I was thinking, why do we need to be celebrated? To be in a place, right? Because uh, from the moment I left, because I was born somewhere and blah, blah, blah. And then, but I went to schooling in in Sudan and then I left to Dubai and over there uh, people laughed at my accent and like you know how my hair because I have like kind of afro curly hair right not the straight hair my skin is you know uh, darker it's black a lot of things you know they laughed about a lot of things and I honestly didn't care and I don't know why and I think I don't know what is it, but I, things that people tell me does not affect me. And maybe if you go back <laughs> to the teaser where I talk about my teacher, maybe that was yeah. the trigger uh, that, you know, freed me for what people tell me. Maybe it was, I don't know. I can't, I can't pinpoint it yet. And um, from, and when I went back, uh, that spent a year in Dubai, and then when I went back, it was celebrated. Uh, and I was the smart one, the blah, blah one. I was like, interesting. <laughs> I was living a, a life of a status here, went, and that status was taken away because I became a minority. And so the Sudanese are considered the blacks of the Middle East. And some people don't, so some people even don't call us, call us Arab. But I think the ethnicity is Afro-Arab for us. Mm. Um, and so we face a lot of things. Uh Back in my day, nowadays, things are shifting. Um, so I was like, okay, I didn't care. And then come back, celebrate it. And, then, and I had this experience over and over and over where I'm like celebrating one place. I go there, I'm nobody. Then I come back, <laughs> I'm like celebrated. And I think that's what, like, I don't understand. Um, I just yeah. stay where I think right for the moment. So I think that, sorry, uh, I think this is a very, very, very important question and um, conversation topic. And I think, I think, I, I used to think exactly like you, where it doesn't matter where I am. Why do I need a place to tell me that I'm special? Why do I need a place um, to feel like I'm part of the collective? Why do I need that? Right. And why do I need to feel privileged mm. um, to to live in a place and feel comfortable? And I think that uh, I used to think and I used to hate that part of myself that was like w I, I felt so ashamed that I felt so much more comfortable living in South Korea than I did in the United States. Mm. And then I started realizing that not feeling deserving of power was actually taking a toll on my health, not just my mental health, but on my physical health. And um, there's a lot of research and, and you went to med school and, and so maybe you already know this, but I was listening to a podcast with um, Dr. Huberman, Andrew Huber, Huberman at, on his podcast, Huberman Lab. And he was interviewing Dr. Sarah Gottfried and yeah. he was asking her, um, oh, and so he's, um, he's a professor of um, neuroscience at Stanford. 
and um and so he was talking to her about and she's like she's she was a trained physician um at in a program that was run by MIT and Harvard um and so she was a trained gynecologist and now she does a lot of like uh she does she practices precision medicine Mm. and um, really works with a lot of females. She's written several books on like hormonal health, women's hormonal health. And Huberman asked her a question like, what do you think contributes to some of the disparities in the health between women and men, et cetera, et cetera. I'm kind of butchering everything. Uh, but she said something that I will never forget. Um, and she said, you know, patriarchy is one of those things that really continues to uh, wreak havoc on women's bodies. Um, and he was like, what? Like, can you like talk about that a little bit? Can you explain what that means? And she was talking essentially about this concept of power over, right? That we constantly, that society sort of, subordinates women to a place where we say, oh, well, if you are feeling this way, you must be crazy. There must be something wrong with you. Mm. And even if we're just looking at like reproductive health, right? Like why is it the woman's responsibility? Why is it only solely the woman's responsibility to make sure that she doesn't get pregnant? You know, like there was a really good argument made like I know of it. Um right? Like if women sleep with fifty men in one year, she can only have one baby. But if a man, right, ha sleeps with fifty different women, he could potentially give birth, well not right, to fifty different children. Yeah. And so why are we controlling the woman? Um why are we, why do the women have to take those uh, hormone disrupting pills mm -hmm. um, to prevent childbirth, right? Why is that a more, um, why is that the contraceptive that of choice when it's actually the men who are seeding all these women, right? And so after listening to that, I was just like, this whole concept of power, right, is not just this invisible thing in the air awesome. where, right? It's it's not an invisible thing. It actually impacts our health. It impacts our mental health. It impacts policy. It impacts education. It impacts everything. And so- um, Exactly. And that's why it's really important to live in a place where you feel comfortable, mm -hmm. where you're not oppressed where you are not prone to stress and, um, you know, like I'm sure like I've done a lot of work and inner work that I feel like, okay, well, there's this whole like, you know, people killing Asians in the United States right now that I'm not really sure I want to go back into, but mm -hmm. you know, like I'm, I've done a lot of the inner work to be like, okay, I can kind of get back to feeling comfortable again in my own skin. I feel safer. I've done a lot of like somatic like healing. And so, you know, maybe when I live in the States again, maybe I won't 
be prone to this like powerlessness that uh, a lot of people of minorities feel. Um, but I feel like I did need some time living in Korea to feel like actually I am worth having power. I do deserve to have this level of comfort, this mental comfort, the physical comfort, and to kind of regain my health before I go back into a place that says, oh, you're nothing or, oh, you suck. Um, and it's great. It's now like that BTS is super popular and Korean barbecue is super popular and oh, Korean gosh. dramas oh, are yeah. super popular. You know, like they are, I, I do Korean are the thing now. <laughs> Maybe not the thing, but it, it's definitely, are. yeah, we've kind of elevated somewhere yeah, somehow. Yeah. Um, and so I do kind of feel comfortable going back to a place Um you know, uh, with that all having been changed a little bit, but, um, so yeah, that was a really huge digression. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, I think you shifted something in my mindset too, but it's not the right time to talk about it. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to do a timeline of you. Um, I see a pattern here of you being told something and you put into, uh, how would I say this? It's like you are putting by the teachers and everyone, you put it into a mold of a certain character, right? And then you trying to get out of that mold and and like uh, catching up with the other with the other version, better versions, right? And going into college, and I think college, and this is one of the things that a uh, huge argument of uh, education is not important. Going to college is not important because you can get knowledge anywhere. But I think college is not just about the knowledge on courses. It's about the experience Status. and shifting oh, yeah. person's um, personality. Like It has a lot of things. It's not just education. 100%. Right? That's why it's important to go. It's a whole experience that, you know, I just wish it's free because mm-hmm. I don't think there's any reason it shouldn't be free. But that's another topic so <laughs> i feel like another so many, two hour topic. another two hour topic but you know i'm trying to catch up with your movie or film and then you <laughs> go there and and realizing how important uh, realize discovering your culture that and i feel your culture was the shy character behind you that trying to be like hey hello i'm here and you're like go away right and you realizing yeah. oh this shy characters is i want to i want to see more and you coming here and becoming a shift in power shift in importance also something i always notice is like when i go back home i'm pretty right mm. over here i'm just another person right but mm. over there i'm one of the pretty ones right uh mm. even though like I don't even follow the standard beauty over there, but still, I'm I look like I am with people who look like me, so I I, mm-hmm. I fit in the beauty standards that you were talking about earlier. Which is something I want I wanted to mention. Uh, and I, by the way, I think you're so beautiful. Like every time I look at you, I think you're oh. so pretty. Uh, oh, thank you. I, but you know, I don't fit the beauty standard here at all. Like I know I'm <laughs> I'm aware of the beauty. <laughs> I don't fit the beauty standards too. 
by the way. Uh, but but no, you know, no, I mean in South Korea. In South Korea, yeah. I don't fit the beauty standards in Sudan too. Oh. But you know, I am prettier than the beautiful one, but prettier. <laughs> Just focus on that. Compare over over here. No, like I don't get the notices I get. When I'm bad, if that makes sense. You're, you're so I, funny. So it's not that much as the beautiful so one. No, no, no. Just prettier. I'll take that. Thank you very much. Not that I care, but uh, I do care. I, I love myself how I look, by the way. But um, yeah, me too. But yeah, I definitely don't, don't fit. think that no, I, I don't fit any standards. It's okay. And I, I, I just, at this point, following the standards is ridiculous because it's not yeah. achievable anymore. <laughs> And I love food so much. <laughs> it's not. It's not achievable. I, I gave up. So. Uh... Oh, my cheeks hurt. You know what I used to do? Because I have big cheeks. I used to do like this. You know, to like, to like, kind of like have lesser body weight face weight and you're end up like maybe i should get rid of my cheeks by the surgery and then being in medical school i went and, and looked actually at the surgery in youtube and it was horrifying i was like there's no way surviving this surgery. i don't have the money for it anyways it was one of the dreams but you know what achieve unachievable so, so it's okay so you're going back to your you go back, you fit in there with everything, uh, and not, you just don't. And sometimes when you don't fit in your environment or your country, you become the old one. It's a good thing. Hmm. Just like you, in your case, you're the person who does not, and it's the status to speak English mm -hmm. and to have a kind of kind of like not so good uh, mother tongue. They're like, oh, because she's so bougie, she lived there, stuff like that, right? And then you go back to the U.S. again. How did you feel going back? Mm. So, you know, I think all of these um, I, ideas of like, or these concepts of feeling inferior or insecure, those were not things that I actually became aware of until after living in South Korea, maybe the second time around. Mm. Um, you know, I think that comparative lens only you, you only unlock these comparative lenses once you've lived somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, some, so a creative partner once told me that one of her teachers used to say, like it was a sociology class and mm -hmm. he would say this thing, I'll never forget. And he said, the fish don't see the water, right? And so like when you're living in a society, you don't understand what air you are living in. You don't understand the environment. Once you're taken out of that air and you are breathing a new air, you start, suddenly are able to compare the two airs, you know? Mm. And so... And also, I wasn't mature enough. Um, I was still like 22, 23, 20, 23 or 24 when I moved back to the States. And so, you know, my prefrontal cortex was still not fully developed. Mm. Um, I mean, from, you know, a physiological perspective or standpoint. Mm. 
but and like I told you, I wasn't one of the intellectual ones and I wasn't really an analytical person, mm-hmm. at least not in the sense of being able to analyze like in a very meta kind of way, a metacognitive way. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not something that I developed until I became a better teacher, which was, you know, like six years later. And so when I went back to the States, I just felt like, oh, reverse culture shock, right? Like I started to see, oh, you know, this is not a collectivistic society. There's a lot of more freedom here. I can actually articulate myself without having to kind of walk around. I mean, because I was raised in a Korean household, I was always very circular about the way that I spoke, but Mm. I had to be even more circular when I was living in South Korea. But when I went back to the States, I went back to just being, you know, like my natural circular way of speaking. So I don't think that really answers your question, but those were some of the things that. No, it does because I had similar experience. The first time I left Sudan going to Dubai and then going back, I was like, oh, what? It's like, I thought everyone is different. I was a child. Mm. I was like 14 or 13. And I thought, why is everyone different? Then I realized people are not different. It's still the same. I have a new perspective on things. I have seen things. And now I'm going back to what I used to be, but it's not like what I remember it to be. Because I don't have the same brain that was... And that was a year, one year difference. So I can only imagine uh, how, like, this is, a, again, a, a good topic for another conversation. <laughs> I, have, like, I feel like our we trees. are, yeah, our trees. I feel like we're giving birth to ideas yeah. while we talk in one topic, you know? It's, it's such a yeah, great Yeah, more thing. branches. Yeah, more branches like that. And then you went back to US and then go, coming back to South Korea, this is your last time, right? In which? Um, no, th- th- so it was second. This is my third time. This is your third time going back and forth. Yes. Yeah. And is there a specific reason of you changing your mind a couple of times? Or like? Well, so it wasn't like a singular reason. I think there were multiple reasons that kind of converged. And I think um, they were all related to job opportunities or being closer to my then boy, well, my husband, my then boyfriend, Mm. Um, and also like the cultural experiences, the, um, yeah, so they were all kind of that. And then I think... Yeah. So they were all kind of, I guess the central reasons were they were all related around job opportunities. Hmm. I want to ask a question that we might take it later, but I'm interested in this for my own selfish reasons. (laughs) Is that with your husband, did you end up with someone South Korean or someone not South Korean? Oh, yeah. Because of this whole thing, uh, I feel like I feel like this would play your whole thing, film would play a part in this decision, not just being with someone or being in love or so ever. 
somehow I think it would. So just answer my question <laughs> if you want to. I will give you um a, a under one minute response. I'll, I'll try. So when I was younger, I never thought that I would be with someone Korean. And then through the course of my life, actually, I thought I was going to be a Buddhist nun, so I didn't think I would ever get married. Mm. But then when I met my husband, he's Korean American. Mm. And I realized, oh, we have a lot in common. And it's really nice that we understand the culture Mm-hmm. And we understand, have similar ideas of the social order. We have under like a similar understanding of what kinds of roles we want to play um, in our like relationship. And those were all kind of defined by like South Korean ideals or not South Korean, but just Korean or just even East Asian or Asian mm-hmm sort of um things yeah so yes short answer he is korean american so he's someone similar to you mm-hmm. lived a somehow uh, similar experience because i too slightly similar yeah well there's some uh, um text many overlaps because <laughs> yeah. i too never like no, I was when I was young. I didn't think about like it, me thinking about marriage was not ever a question until later. And um, but I currently I don't think I'll marry someone from my culture. But then there's the fear of a different culture collapsing and and, and parents, and, you know. So you know, I'll never know where this will take me. I'm not really worried. But it's just something that came up to my mind, someone like, because I feel like we have relapses too. Um, How did you end up, who did you end up with and how it's going? I had like such a curious mind towards this, right? Which is very interesting. Um, After speaking for almost one hour and a half, 40 minutes about your uh, life, the feature film, would you change your opening scene? hard question it's only um a hard question because i don't know if what we covered would be the story that i would want to be about my life what what would be uh, a story you want to be what would uh we can't cover it now but what what do you think we didn't cover would be a story But, you know, I don't think I've done the things that I want to do with my life yet mm-hmm. to to end that story. So, you know, we would have to do like a, a reprise like 20 years later. <laughs> I was, see, I was going to this. say this is, an, this is not an end. We don't have an end for this. Yeah. We'd never no, go we into don't. None of my guests yeah. will have an end to their uh, <laughs> film. But... I do think 
this would be your film, even though you're not oh, seeing you do. it. You know, because if you're thinking about you seeking um, understanding of why you're different, hmm. right? Because I feel like this is what what would you be thinking about, isn't it? Uh, why yeah. you're different? They, how yeah, the education system different. Uh, uh, like contributed to that? The teacher, and again, going back to your homeroom podcast, right? Yeah. Which we will leave links below. Um, is I think all of everything you talked about has a contribution, a major contribution to 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 who you are and why you're different. The mm-hmm. living in the U.S., uh, your grandparents and your mom, the stinky meals that someone like you know one time did uh, too, right? Uh, they're not stinky. I've uh, I, I didn't taste Korean food in a in a good place. It was in the mall, and I'm pretty sure that's not how it tastes. But <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for someone to recommend a good restaurant in Toronto. So if you know a good restaurant in Toronto, let me know. Um, so what else? Uh, the, uh, the, the food, the culture you're trying to assimilate. Is it the word? Mm, to, to yeah, where assimilation, acculturation. Yeah, to where you are, and then uh, finding out later in college your heritage and culture who would we say is the like the shy character behind you coming to south korea the cultural shock you going back with a new probably the second time with a new perspective all of that contribute to why you're different this is these this is the main reason why you're different right because of mm-hmm. you being a fish taken out of water into a different environment and then you going back to the water and you going back to the different environment that you lived in that you're familiar with but it's not so familiar now and you know why it's not so familiar right and then going back to the familiar water and that's just this is who this is why in my opinion and this has like a huge um impact on you just like what you said about the the doctor who I forgot her name. I'm not <laughs> saying Dr. that. Sarah Godfrey. Yes. Yeah. Say that all of this has contribution to your health. Right. Do you yeah, think, and, I, I, and not just that a person who is not born in their culture ground or environment. Like I was born in Moscow and you were born in the U S right. We were not born in the environment where our heritage or our culture comes from. And that has an yeah. effect on us. You know, yes. we think, and you know, and we think it does not, but I can tell you, and I never wanted to be the different one. One, Yeah. But I'm always the different one. I'm always who challenges yeah. what's happening. And I don't want to challenge it. For anyone listening, when someone challenges something, they don't want to. They don't want to be the odd one. They don't want to not take it easy. They want the easy route. But there is no easy route yeah. over there. It's not, it yeah, doesn't exist. We just want to be mind. comfortable. Yes, and that's we want to be comfortable. That's why we challenge it because we're not comfortable with whatever is comfortable to you, right? One hundred percent. So that's that's your story, and all of. I don't want to take take your narrative away from you. It's just my narrative of of what you told me so far. I, I see it. I see it like that. I see you going back and forth. Um, that's really helpful, actually. Thank you. Know, you. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm just like the the the. You know, have you been to Korean Town after you uh, came back? 
from South Korea. Yes. And you know, I have to say, I uh, I don't like Koreatown for different reasons, but I definitely don't feel ashamed of it anymore. Does Koreatown look like Korea? Is it the, the actual replica or is it a westernized replica? I mean, I can definitely tell that it's still, you know, a U.S. city with Korean signs. But I know that there are a lot of people like workers in some cafes and some places. They don't speak English. <laughs> so it does Migrants feel sometimes. Migrants who found a job in a place where they can exactly. speak their language. Exactly. I'm familiar with that. I, I am familiar with that. And I am familiar with the shame associated mm. with, with your country and your heritage. Um, not going to say I felt it, but I felt pressure to feel it by my mm. peers and by everyone. I understand that. Um, it's like some people are like, I remember being in Dwayne, some people are like, how dare you to ask for certain privilege because of who you are, right? And I don't, and I didn't care. I, I dare to, right? And that does not make me a better person or anything. It's just it's just a characteristic that I have that I didn't know why I had, right? That's I, so beautiful the way that you said it. Is it? I, I love that the um, the idea that I do understand the shame. I never felt it, but I felt the pressure to feel it. That's that's a golden nugget right there. Thank you, and I think. Uh, if you give it a thought, you were pressured to feel that shame too. Absolutely. And you took the easy route to, fe to, 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 to feel it. Yes, right? you're right. That absolutely was the easy route. It is. Because I succumbed to that pressure. I could not rebel. And that's okay because we're not, we're, we're not supposed to rebel. We're supposed to be born. Yeah, we're supposed to be comfortable. <laughs> yes, into comfort places, and 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 you know, and not everyone is privileged to to have yeah, exactly. that. And exactly. I can I can talk forever about this, but I have a question to ask you, which is, what do you think the theme in your film? I want to know your narrative. So I really like the one that you shared with me, um, and I definitely. I don't think that that is what I would have said um, before we had this conversation. I would say that one of the themes would be um, like turning a weakness into a strength, like um, thinking that I was stupid this entire time and had no value to society but actually realizing that what actually made me different has become now valuable to society. Mm. Um, and so I think one of the themes would be um, societal worth, societal value. And I heard a really great term before um, that I hadn't heard before. Uh, I was listening to a podcast between Lewis Howes and Donald Miller. He wrote, blue like jazz mm. and he differentiated this concept between um a person being a person versus being an economic product and 
I understand it. And I, I understand this term because there are other terms for this, but I'd never heard the juxtaposition of the word economic and product before as it applied to humans. And I was just so blown away because it's so true. Like one of the reasons I started Homeroom, the podcast, was because I don't want our school systems to turn us into economic products. I want them to teach us how to be successful humans, mm. not economic products. And that's why it was so revolutionary to me when I heard this term. Mm. Um, and now that I went off on this tangent, I forgot your question. The theme. Yes. So the theme I wanted to sort of play with was this idea of the theme being this question of how do we turn, how do we raise our children to be successful humans and not economic products? Mm. I think that would be the theme of my film. And it is because you're going, um, you're being treated as an economic product when you were a child and you seeking right. that perfect picture of economic product. And then you realizing, oh, <laughs> I shouldn't be an economic product. I shouldn't be seeking this. I should be doing this and this and that. And you coming to discoveries after discoveries from you going back and forth. And I, I love the theme. You know, one of the best themes I've heard. Uh, but my other question would be, um, what is the name of your film? <laughs> you didn't give me this one to prepare in advance. <laughs> I have a thing about titles. You yeah, are. I am full of surprises. Um, <laughs> I can't give you everything. But think about so it. So I... Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to have to think about it. You but have to, mm -hmm. I, I do think it has something to do with the word home. Mm. Um, and this is one of my I'm favorite sure words. How. Me too. Uh, home is... is <sighs> Home is everything. Like home is everything. Even like when uh, me, uh, whenever like my mom says this guy is a good guy, blah blah blah, and I say no, and she says, "What's your problem?" I can't tell her that I'm looking for a home in a partner, because no one would understand mm. that unless they. I understand that. what you're saying. Yes, because this is what I'm looking for, and a home is a place where you are safe. You yes. were you're not necessarily protected when you know that you will be protected one day and one day you can be the protector. A home where you're not judged, you can be yourself, your ugly self, your silly self, your stupid self, your beauty self. You can be any self you want and be comfortable with that. So that's really important. So, <sighs> Yes, and you know what the secret is? is knowing how to turn any house into a home. Yeah. And that takes a lot of inner work, but I think something tells me that you've done a lot of the inner work. So you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I okay, I have a I have a name. You just said it. From a house to a home. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I won't put it as a name of the podcast until you think about it. And yeah. you message me saying, okay, Supreme, this is what I want it to be because this is your narrative. I know I interrupt 
a lot because I'm a talkative no. person. No. <laughs> talk a lot. Yeah. But like I have, great. I had like I just you one of the people in my life that trigger ideas in my brain. And that's such a valuable person to have, right? Because sometimes you're with a person that just, they just pluck the creativity, <laughs> the chaos. They just block it. And you're like, you're like, oh, I'm suffocating, I'm suffocating, right? And sometimes yeah. I'm with people like you who are just giving me ideas and it's like a fire of ideas in my brain. Boof, 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 boof. And this is one of the 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 episodes that I have so many ideas that cannot fit. We're almost two hours now and I don't want to oh my I don't gosh. Want, I don't want it to end. But I know you have a daughter, you're a mom, and you are in Korea right now. And <laughs> what what time is it? Is it like almost 11 over there? It's, it's 11.23. So yeah, I should probably go. <laughs> you should probably go yeah. to sleep, right? But, but I uh, really loved our conversation, I as always. One of the best conversations I always have, have is with you. Last question. What is oh. your takeaway from this on your life? <gasps> Oh, that is such, you can't drop that as a question and then, oh, oh gosh, it's a really big question. It's and, a big question, um, I, but yeah, it's can, a huge question. You can have the first thought in your mind and just answer it. I love first thoughts. They're always wrong. But... So I think the, so I think I told you today I was compositing um, three different stories that I've been writing over the past 10 years. Mm. And I got stuck in, in, in one part of the outline. And it was, how do I end this story? Mm. And I think having this conversation with you really helped me narrow down some of the avenues that I could have gone down. But mm -hmm. I think there are a couple of avenues that I think feel like have more gravity mm -hmm. because of this conversation that I had with you. And I really loved some of the questions that you, I mean, I loved all of the questions that you asked me, but some of the questions that you asked me really got me thinking about some of the things that I was writing about. And I realized that I have stronger opinions about some of those that I was pondering. And so I think the biggest takeaway is I kind of know what to do next with my outline. So thank you very much. That's great. That's amazing. Um, I don't know. My, I have so many to say as takeaways. Uh, but I think for me is that our journeys in life, all of us as human beings, might be different. And I always come to this to conclusion, but they're similar. They always have these relapses in them, and it's so beautiful uh, to experience it every time. You have such a rich uh, experience. I don't know if you know that. It's very rich. And I know you're writing a book, or you already wrote a book. It's not published yet. But I, I, I <laughs> three love books. three books. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to stitch them into one now. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. You, you're one of those people who can, who can take one aspect of their life and make a huge book about it. So I would read your books. I would listen to you forever. 
right? And I I wish, you know, that in each step or era in your life, since second grade to this moment, you are a person of value. I just want you to know that, you know? Thank you, and Celine. So are you. Thank you. And, and I would say, don't let anyone uh, identify your narrative. Narrate it yourself. Own it, right? And I wish one day to visit you where you are. I love the Korean culture. Thank you to the drama and to my friends' pressure. <laughs> and then because of that, I met you. I met Sun. I, you know, I have Koreans all around me right now. Uh, might mm. as well learn the language, which I'm doing. <laughs> okay. So thank you so much for thank being you. here and for um, opening your heart to me and sharing a lot of things that were all genuine and authentic and taught me so much about life and you know and sharing it with everyone else thank you so much oh and you are such a sweetheart you have so much to give you think critically you are so generous with your time and your support and you're such a wonderful human being and i really hope you continue to become a part of everybody's lives and thank you thank so much you. for this conversation, oh, the that. ones that we've had before and the ones we will have in the future. Exactly. I'm going to have you in a year or two or something. If this could, I'm hoping this will continue to something and, you know, maybe 20 years and see where this story yes. goes to, because I don't think any story has an end. Uh, they're always continuous in my brain and in the world. Uh, even when the film says the end, me, I'll be thinking about what happened next. So... I want to thank everyone for watching and listening to the Lemon Narrative with Sabrina podcast. And until I see you next time. Bye.